0: Hey, this is Joe Casada. I got some advice for you. If you're going to
1: geek out, geek hard.
2: To Geek Card, right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green.
3: Summer's almost gone, folks. And with it, we're not even here either. Welcome to Geek Card. I'm Andrew Young. With me, as always, is Mr. Green.
1: Uh, um, Yeah, I'm with you now, and I'm with you now.
3: That's right. Because right now, we're not here. This is a pre-recorded episode because this is Fan Expo Canada Weekend in Toronto. So myself and Mr. Green are finally returning to the convention where we've spent many a time. It's been a few years since we've been there. We're coming back with a vengeance this weekend. Of course, we'll be there all four days, August 24th to 27th at the Metro Toronto Convention Center. and Of course, we we hope to run into you there. Of course, you can get tickets and more information at FanexpoCanada.com. But we weren't going to leave you guys in the lurch. We have a show for you here tonight, and what a show it is. Later on in the program, we're going to be giving our review of the first two episodes, spoiler free, of Ahsoka. The first episode has now aired on the Disney Plus, and the second one's coming next week. We're going to be talking about that. And in mere minutes, you're going to hear our interview with someone who is at Fan Expo Canada. And that is former Marvel editor-in-chief, former Marvel CCO, Joe Casada, of course, a talented artist, and he's done a number of things. We talk about those number of things and more in our sit-down interview, but he's going to be there all four days at Fan Expo Canada. You should come. Hang out with us. It'll be a good time. Absolutely. We're going to take our first commercial break, and when we come back, you will hear that interview with Joe Casada right here, Geek Art Radio 101. Remember when you used to go to the comic shop and browse through the stacks, picking up comic after comic, talking to your fellow customers and the store owner about what books you should buy? What kind of outside people daywalker nonsense are you talking about? I don't go outside. Well, thank goodness for Back Issue Bloodbath with Andrew Young and Petula Neal. When we talk about comics old and new, mostly old, but sometimes new. Every Wednesday, new episodes drop at geekartshow.com or wherever you catch your pots. Check it out and have yourself a good.
2: Welcome back to Geek Card, right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green.
3: Welcome back to Geek Hard, Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. And we're just about to get into the show. Of course, we're at Fan Expo Canada right now. We hope to see you there this weekend at the Metro Toronto Convention Center. Of course, you can get tickets and more info about Fan Expo Canada at fanexpocanada.com. Also, I put it out there last week. I'm going to say it again. We want you to subscribe to the Geek Card YouTube channel. Become a subscriber over there. Watch a few videos. Our goal is by the end of the year to make it to a 1,000 subscribers. We're halfway there, and you can be a part of that journey. So go to youtube.com slash Show. Now let's get into our first interview of the night, Mr. Green. We got to talk with Joe Casada, a yeah. man who's been in the business for decades, and we ended up having a pretty good conversation with him.
1: Oh yeah, no, it's uh, when you get to talk with a legend, it's always going to be interesting.
3: Yeah, definitely. And so we had a good time here. So let's take a listen right now to that interview. So mm-hmm. we're very happy to have with us today an artist, a writer. An editor. He's done a million things in the comics industry and outside of the comics industry as well. Welcome to the program, Joe Casada.
0: Hey, thank you, man. And and by the way, most of that stuff, legal. Some other stuff I can't talk
3: about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Some of those things that you're known for, we can't talk about.
0: You know, if you know, you know.
3: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We got you. We got you, Joe. Totally. So, of course, this past summer was your first time going back to the San Diego Comic-Con since the Mm -hmm. pandemic. And of course you're coming to Fan Expo Canada in Toronto at the end of this month. You come here many times. I know ever since back since the nineties, you've been coming to this convention. So you've had a long, yeah, you've had a long experience with it. What is it about getting out there and meeting the fans that makes it so special?
0: I used to be a working musician, right? You rehearse, for hours on end, day after day, you get on stage and you get that immediate gratification. Or not, right? But you get immediate feedback. Comics, whether it's writing, drawing, it's a very isolated existence. And as creators, we're faced with two demons. One of them is very immediate. It's a daily demon that we face, which is a blank page, whether you're writing or or, or drawing. The other demon sort of creeps up on you over time. It's like, I don't care if you live in oral Palace. The four walls that that compose your work area eventually start to feel a bit like a prison, and you work there all day, and you don't, you know, you start to question: Is this any good? So, to me, when I put something out there—a story that I've written or drawn or both—and you know, sales are one thing, but meeting fans personally is such a joy to me because it's always a great experience. I mean, I, I can't. If I've had a bad experience, I mean, one or two, maybe. And I, I just I wiped them out of my mind. It's just not even worth it. But comics are very unique in that sense that, I mean, it's changed a little bit, right? Because now movie stars go out and they do signings and stuff, which is unheard of at the time. But comics have always been unique where we get to meet our fans, our customers on a one-to-one basis. They can come up to us, approach us, ask questions. And at the end of the day, I keep saying this. These are the people. These folks that come up to my table. They pay my rent. They've given me a career. They've given me a a life in comics. And without comics, so much of my life would be completely and radically different for the worst. So I am forever grateful to everyone, even people that don't like my stuff. I'm really, really grateful because they know at one point, they probably picked it up and read something I've done. And that just, you know, that, that jazzes me. The first time I went to Fan Expo Canada, I really didn't know what to expect. And (laughs) it's <laughs> this wall of humanity, like just like, but excited about comics, about anime, about everything. And I was like, this is rocking. I got to keep coming back here. Who knew the Canadian fans were so lovely? Of course I knew. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know, Joe, when you are talking about uh, not getting to uh, because of the type of work that you've done, and you know, and and other creators done, you know, we've we've talked to creators in the past, and they talk about the same, it's very similar experience. You you don't because you are singular, you are by yourself. I am just wondering, is there ever been a moment that kind of always resonates or sticks out in your mind where a fan has come up to you and like shared a story that like really touched you?
0: You know, I am not boasting; It, it, it happens quite often,
1: right? And it's always
0: always, uh, I take it, I take it to heart and it's, and, and, you know, but there's, there are fans that talk about meeting me that like, like their, like their father was a fan of my work or, 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 and they were introduced to my work that way. About a year ago, fan came up to my booth. I don't think I was there, but they left me a letter and it was just such a heartwarming letter about their sort of history with my work that it, it, it touched me immensely. But, The other thing that really gets to me, it happens in particular with with fellow creators that come up to me and say, you don't know this, but, and it'll be something that I've just forgotten about. Or or a fan will say that. It's like, you know, you sent me an email. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I I, I try to respond to as many emails that come to me personally as possible. And those are the ones that also hit me because, like, you know, you said X, Y, and Z in this email. And (laughs) I'll listen, I'm like. Wow, that that was a really insightful thing for me to say, you know, because I just I just look at myself as some you know blabbing idiot. But again, when when fans send me stuff, I just I, I take it all to heart. The the good, the bad, the ugly, it's all part of the business and something that that you know inevitably I could learn from. But having been a fan, having I mean I've worked on I've been on all sides of the table. I've been on the fan side of the table. I've been on the pro side of the table. I've been on the business side of the table. So I, I try to come at these, these situations with a, with a respect and understanding of what it feels like to be on the other side, you know, to have your portfolio reviewed, to have your, you know, just to meet a a creator and, you know, uh, extend your hand to say, hello, I like your work or, you know, I really like what you did with that character. And then we just talk, you know, it's, it's, I find it fun and and chastity. That's why the panels also are like my favorite thing to do at shows.
3: Of course. Well, the panels, they, they are legendary Mm -hmm. a year ago. You, you left Marvel. You've been doing other projects. I know that uh, you're now uh, working on a a deal with Amazon adapting comic-based material. You've done some covers for DC, but the one thing that I was really excited to hear is that you, you directed a short film, the fly, and Uh it's a story about a storyteller. So what was it like putting that together?
0: I had the idea of fly years and years ago, so much so that uh the origins of it go back to I mean, I mean, Brian, I was I was working at Marvel, Brian Bendis was still there. We had lunch after one of our big creative summits, and I was talking to Brian about stuff that I want to do. And I'm like, you know, I got kind of this little idea for a movie, short movie, and I described it to him. He's like, You should do that, you should do that. I'm like, yeah, but I got a day job, man. I just don't have time. So it's always been scratching in the back of my head because I've always wanted to direct, too. I've wanted to, to, to try my hand in it because it's really, to me, it's just an extension of telling stories in comics. If you could do it right in comics, you know, it, it should translate to film, but you just never know. So it was one of those bucket list things. I me. And I had an opportunity to direct a four-minute webisode for agents of shield right so so my so my first time directing they, they threw me in the fire but not really the writers at shield the producers and I, mean, I was one of the producers but you know at this point if i'm gonna direct i'm i'm just a dude directing so i had to fly to la i spent a month out in la where i shadowed two of our better directors to sort of just see how you know this is how it works right because this is a this is a pro set this is not just like hey Let's get some friends together. My dad's got a barn. My buddy's got a camera. Let's go, right? These these were the professional folk uh, with years of experience. So I didn't want to make a fool of myself. So I shadowed them for a month. I did extensive storyboards for a four-minute episode, which made everybody's life, I think, a lot easier. And when I finally got to be on that side of the camera, it was addicting. It was like... Oh, give me more of that. I went right here, right, right, just give it to me right there in the veins, right? It was a blast. So it, it started to, to to spark me to, I got to do this thing. I got to do this thing. And then COVID. So with COVID, you know, we're all working, but, you know, you also have a lot of extra time on your hands. You got a lot of friends like a lot of extra time on your hands. So I said, this is the time to do it. You know, I had some little disposable cash and I said, screw it. You know, it's just, you know, I, I could spend it on something stupid or I could just spend it on this and have some fun. And we did, you know, I wrote a, wrote a small script. We, we, we filmed it just to see if we could. We had our our, our crew, I think out of all our crew, we, you know, I think at some point we had maybe 11, 12 people that we would need. I think only three or four of them had had any experience being on an actual movie set. None of the actors had ever performed on camera. It was a blast. And then when it was done, my cinematographer slash editor Ben said, you know, you should enter this into some film festivals. So i Okay. So we did. And, you know, we, we got accepted to a whole bunch. We're still getting accepted to some, won some awards, but it was really the experience. Fly isn't meant to be like, Hey, this is, this is a, this is sort of a a sample of, uh, for a feature film. It's not that it's just a short story. I told in one O Henry ish kind of story about a girl who's a storyteller who wants to get into college, wants to get into writing school and what happens. So it's pretty simple. And, you know, it's, uh, surprisingly, you know, it's, it's, it's got got some legs, you know, and it's, and it's not superheroes. I didn't want to do superheroes. Of course. It was yeah. the last thing I wanted to do because that's all I do all day long. <laughs>
1: and, I, and I do tell other kinds of stories, so. But, yeah, thanks, man. Cool. Yeah, totally. we, you know, and that, that brings uh, to mind to me is like I'm looking, you know, obviously you've had a long career. You've done so many different things, you know, as we discussed earlier. And I'm just thinking, like, if you were to look back and think about young Joe growing up, you know, like in Queens and, and thinking towards the future. Was there ever any inkling that any of this success was going to come your way at all?
0: As a kid, I, I enjoyed comics, you know, uh, as I've often said, I, I dropped them at the age of 12 when I discovered two important things in my life, baseball and girls, and not necessarily in that order. But I dropped them. I dropped them completely. And and now I, I, I was always artistic. I ended up going to an art college, School of Visual Arts, where I majored in illustration. I was a snob when it came to comics. I looked down on comics because I remembered them from when I was a kid thinking, well, it's just a kid's medium. It doesn't mean that kids write those books. It's just like, for the same reason that that I had no aspirations to write children's books, right? I wanted to do something that was, you know, with my illustration that was more geared towards adults. So I had this sort of really bias against comics. It wasn't what I wanted to do so much so. Just for the heck of it, as electives, I had taken Harvey Kurtzman's class on, on humor illustration and Will Eisner's sequential art class. I failed them both. Uh, <laughs> and... And now, mind you, you had to work really hard to fill those classes, right? And, and at the end of the day, all you need to do to pass was do your final assignment. But I cared so little about comics. I just didn't do the final assignments. I just didn't pass those classes. It was, a, uh, you know, and, and today I look back on it and I'm like, I think I got a lot out of Harvey's class because Harvey was very engaging. And I don't think I got as much out of Will's class as I should have, but that's on me. Because, you know, I didn't want to learn how to ink. I didn't want to learn. I just wanted to paint. I wanted to be an illustrator. So that's how little regard I had for comics at that time. Until I was 25 and somebody threw Return of the Dark Knight in front of me. And then I read, literally, the next book I read was Watchmen. And I'm like, what? What is happening here? As a kid, I loved Marvel. Really loved Marvel. Couldn't wrap my mind around DC. And I remember drawing, creating my own comic book characters. But once that phase passed, it passed. And and in some respects, I think that my time away helped me and prepared me for the time when I came back. And also sort of my perspective, uh, looking at comics and my perspective, especially when I came in as editor-in-chief. Because while I have a reverence for comics, I didn't have a historical reverence where, you know... Uh, these things cannot be changed, right? These things are locked in place and should be should be kept in a case pristine. I mean, uh, it gave me an ability to be able to look at them, uh, properties, these, these characters and these stories, and even my own, and say, you know, nothing's that precious. As long as you don't break them, you might be able to do some fun things with them. So I, I think it, 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 it sort of you know, my my many years in the in the wilderness uh, away from comics uh, actually helped me a lot.
3: Yeah, well, it's interesting that you talked about that uh, with the editorial. Of course, first with Marvel Knights, you know, you and Jimmy figured out that if we put the right people with the right characters, we're going to get dynamic stories. And, of course, at that time, Marvel Knights was unlike anything else that was on the stands. And then, of course, you you moved up to editor-in-chief at Marvel. And that 2001 to 2004 period pretty much – most of those titles, the rereadability of those books, you can go back to them all the time. And it's because, you know, you, you made the, the, the smart choice of going, we're going to put these in the hands of the right creators and we're going to let them tell their stories. We're not going to have big crossover events for a long while and we're going to let them create their own epics within their books. And so because of that, we get some great work from Bendis and Grant Morrison uh, Straczynski, all these guys doing iconic runs with each of Marvel's characters. How important was it for you to actually give the creators like that space to breathe as opposed to having to worry about tying into stuff?
0: Necessity is the, the, the mother of it, right? So, so you know, we, we were in chapter 11. We really had very little to lose, you know. It was kind of, you know, it's, it's the best seat on the Titanic at that point. But we also knew when when any industry especially entertainment business starts to say, well, you know, the reason our stuff isn't doing well, the reason we're not selling as well as we used to is because, you know, there's video games and there's this and there's that there's a bifurcation of entertainment that is taking eyeballs and customers away from us. Right now, I'm not talking about the ebb and flow, right? Cause there's, you know, some years you have better years and not so good years. And a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of that have to do with, to do with the economy COVID, I mean you name it, right? A lot of things can come into play. But when you see an industry that's sort of sinking and they start blaming other things for their troubles, generally it's it's the product. It's that you're not putting out a compelling product. And and when Bill Jemis, our CEO at that time, and myself, when we started to strategize, we, we really felt if Marvel Knights showed me anything and showed Bill anything, is that you know, if you improve Your product, your stories, fans will come. It was a point in the industry, people were like, well, we're never going to get those fans back because they're playing video games, right? We're never going to get young kids back because they're playing video games. And we just didn't buy into it. And the other thing was that Marvel, for a very, very long time, was very artist-centric, right? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with desiring beautiful books. But it was at the sake of stories. I love Todd McFarlane. He's, he's, He's one of my favorite people. But Todd and I disagree on this. We're a complete opposite side to this, right? Where where his feeling is that you could put an incredible artist on a book and his dog could write it and he could still sell a lot of copies of that book. And, And he's right, right? He's right. Whereas you can't have his dog draw a book and have Shakespeare write it and sell as much. He's right there too. The difference is that pretty book that his dog has written, you may only sell one, one time right by the second or third issue if you've cultivated a reader base not a speculator base but people that want to read stories then my feeling is that by the second or third issue be like oh, i've seen the pretty art what am i reading and also by the way you know saying that that you know your dog writes it draws it or something it's a little far-fetched right but but i we discovered that and our feeling was that, you know, even without a superstar artist, if we could have a solid artist draw a book with brilliant writing, that the shelf life of that book, the trade paperbacks of that book, the hardcover collections of that book, issue after issue, will sustain longer than this, just a pretty art with no story. And, and that's the other part that he's not putting into the equation, which is like, well, what, about, what about the collections? You know, what happens then, right? Who wants to read a collection? So we disagree on that. And I'm not saying he's wrong and I'm right, but just, you know, that, that's sort of our feeling on it. But that's really what, our, what was our approach. And so we went out there and we said, let's get the best writers possible and let's try to create the best stories possible. One of the keys to my success, however you want to define that, is getting people that are infinitely more talented than me and let them do what they do and just get out of their way. As an editor or editor-in-chief, there, there are times where, you know, someone may be, you see them going completely off the rails and you just want to say, hey, just, you might want to think about X, Y, and Z, right? And I sort of bring them back, right? That, that's really our, that, that's really our job. It's not to write the stories for them. It's not to put creators in a box, but just to be there and, and provide some guardrails so that, you know, we're all on the same page.
1: Yeah, I got to imagine that over your years, uh, especially as an editor, that you've had a few discussions, I'll say, with other creators in which you're having that ebb and flow of, you know, like, you're trying to guide a ship, you know, in its totality, versus, you know, the dinghy on the side, that's one aspect of a, a greater universe, you know, you don't want it to capsize, so you kind of give them direction.
0: You know, I, there there have been a few, but but you know we're talking about professionals, right? So for the most yeah. part, they understand the job, right? Right. They understand that you know none of us own these characters. I, I always say that that when you work at Marvel, whether you work as a freelancer or someone on staff in editorial at Marvel Studios at animation, we are all trust fund creative babies, creative trust fund babies. We have been given this vault filled with gold right spider-man iron man captain america and it's up to us to reinvest in these characters and try to you know make something of it or screw it up really badly right i have never forgotten the side of that a very large part of my success over the years has been the fact that like i get to play with spider-man I get to play with Daredevil. I get to play with, with the Avengers. Me and other creators, we've added to that canvas, but that canvas was there. And I think everybody understands that to, to, to a very large extent. We have a certain DNA and sort of like, like, you know, program that we live by at Marvel, right? Like how to do our books and stuff. And sometimes people just don't fit into the program. Sometimes people fit better into a PC program or, or you know, it, it so so sometimes it's just a bad mix. But I think also coming from, you know, having been on the other side of the table and understanding how creators think, because I am one, I think it enabled me to deliver messages in, in a different way. One of the conversations that I would always have with, you know, when we were trying to bring somebody over or signing a contract and like, look, it's business. And I don't control every aspect of the business. I control a lot of the creative aspect of the publishing business when I was editor-in-chief. And I cannot guarantee you right? Even though we'll pay you what you want, I cannot guarantee you that it will always go smoothly. I cannot guarantee you that at some point, we may not have to kind of spree it. right? And by that, it could be anything, like your book gets canceled, we have to move you off that book because it's not working, whatever it may be. Stuff happens. I've been through it. What I can guarantee you is that if that's going to happen, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why. And hopefully... You'll understand. Right. And and I found that that policy has worked out well because when I used to work at Marvel as a freelancer and I would hear all these horror stories about people just sort of getting bounced from books, getting fired and not knowing why or not getting the news directly from the person they should be getting it from, but getting it from a junior employee because there was was a lot of passive aggressive, like non-confrontational stuff. And it just, I and I just think that leads to bad blood. And even on the occasions where I had to deliver bad news, eventually the person would come back and say, yeah, you know, I I get it. I'm not happy about it, but thanks for being the one to tell me, you know, because that's what I would want. That's all I would want. I would want for my boss to tell me.
3: That's a good way to go about it, man. Like, it's just being up front and straight with everybody and then – more I, I often than not, they'll be straight with you. So Yeah,
0: I, again I, I just I, I have I have too much respect for, for the creative community not to consider that, well, i got we're gonna to talk to as an adult. And look, sometimes there are a few times it did work, you mm-hmm. know. But
1: it's just it's just the way that I, I've generally handled it in the past. Do you ever miss being the editor? No.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's like that's no. somebody else's I, headache. Yeah.
0: That, but by the way, I, I don't I don't want that to sound you know derogatory in any way. No, I don't, no, I don't. know, as a matter of fact, I talked to CB sibolsky uh current editor-in-chief. You know, uh once every few weeks we'll do a zoom call. And when we end the Zoom call, I always say, Steve's man, I could never do what you do today. I, I just I just don't know how you do it. You know, I had my time and you know, I'm always there for advice and stuff, but but I don't know if I could manage the waters that he manages. Right. And and again, maybe it's just because I've been there, done that. And I just, you know, I moved on to other things. And in retrospect, I'm like, wow, that was, that was crazy, but fun, but it was crazy. Right. You know, a, a buddy of mine pointed it out to me, and I guess I sort of subconsciously knew it. So I always say this, that, that, you know, outside of Stan, I'm kind of perhaps the only editor in chief that walked away unscathed. You know, without hating the company or the company hating them. And I have a great relationship with Marvel, great relationship with Disney. I still do work for them, but now I have the ability to do other things. And I have have so many friends at Marvel. And, you know, sometimes like, like, you know, I get a little bit of insider information. Like, no, 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 I don't want to know. I don't want to (laughs) know. I I, want to enjoy the, I want to enjoy the product as it comes out, the stories as it come out. Right. It's not like over my, you know, 22 years as an employee, 24, if you count Marvel Nights, it's not like I wasn't creating things, right? I mean, so I, you know, I have a, I have a little, you know, digital logbook where I was writing down ideas, not superhero stuff, because anything that felt like it was Marvel, well, you know, I, I bring it to Marvel. They're paying my rent. But I have other ideas for things. And with, with the thought that someday, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. Someday I'll do these ideas or I'll, I'll attempt to do these ideas been talking about this two years prior to the actual announcement uh of my my departure. I knew it was coming. I knew that, you know, I it was time. And and I remember it was actually a conversation with Brian Bendis where my daughter was close to graduating college. I'm sort of looking back on stuff and saying, you know, um I I, I wonder when it's all said and done, what what am I leaving behind for her outside of a legacy of Marvel, if I, if there is a, that, is kind of really not just worthless to her, right? I, I mean, it just doesn't mean anything to her. It's just it's it's it was my thing. But I have these characters that I just want to do. And and Brian says something to me that I never thought of. He said, "Well, what do you have left to do up there? What what haven't you done up there?" I was like, "Oh man, I've kind of yeah, I've kind of done just about everything here." And that really drove it home and really got me thinking about the future. So 16 months ago, 17 months ago, when the announcement came out, I was really excited at the opportunities that might arise and who would call me on the phone, right? Folks like Amazon, things like that. So, and by the way, also, I need to add that that if not for COVID, because COVID separated us, the, the editorial group, right? We were all scattered around the world. So that office camaraderie, Um, we all mourned it for a while. We had time to mourn it because the truth matters that the thing that I miss at Marvel are the people. But COVID meant that there were no hugs and, 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 and crying and stuff, which would have happened. But so it sort of tempered that a little bit because we had already separated. But the thing that was unexpected to me, I went to LA to meet a buddy of mine and he'd often put offers in front of me over, over my time at Marvel. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I bleed Marvel red and I'm an exclusive employee and I'm true blue, true red, whatever it may be. And then every time he brings something up, I'm like, I I can't hear it. I can't hear it. I'm not leaving Marvel. I'm exclusive to the company. You know, I can't. All right. So we went to lunch and we started talking and, and uh, and I'm like, Hey, you know what? Pitch me something, ask me something. (laughs) And he did. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. But I could actually hear it. And it was such a weird feeling. And I felt so liberated that, I, that, it, that it occurred to me that, you know, I, I had been married to the same creative wife for 24 years. And now I get to play creative Tinder uh, and just see <laughs> what's out there for me, right? What, what's, what's exciting? And, you know, I, I turn down a lot more things than I accept. Most of it has to do with time or whether I could think, think I'm good for a particular project. And that's been really exciting and uh, just just a feeling I haven't had since I was freelancing or doing, or doing Event Comics. That was really, really, really unique and interesting. And actually and doing shows again and hanging out with creators without the shadow of me being someone that works for the big company. Right, you'd be surprised how conversations can be very, very different.
3: It's interesting to see that you're in the uh, the hip divorcee creative stage yeah. of your career. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, I'm just picturing Joe now. Every time you're making a decision, like you know, actually maybe you create an app for this. Just as how all comic creators will work moving yeah. forward, right. swiping right. left, swiping right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, here, here's yeah. A, here's a job offer. You yeah, yeah. <laughs> <watch>. right
3: <laughs> uh. Ooh, Comics good.
1: Tinder, man. I think that's that's a winner.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you that that's that's just what it feels like. Like when my phone rings, or somebody emails me, or I get something over LinkedIn, and I'm like, you know, are you? Can you? And they're all like, you know, for the most part, really wonderful offers, but just 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 not the right ones for me, especially with the game plan I have, which is really revolves around my daughter. It all revolves mm-hmm. around my daughter, and, and and also things that I feel I could bring something to and make me happy as well, but all with an eye towards you know, hey. You know, someday I'll be I'll be long gone. I'm, I always I say I, I'm one juicy hamburger away from like just being dead.
3: <laughs> wow, that's pretty morbid, Joe. Uh, I think it that's the this is the, is great, this the be, that's the best way to end. Up, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, see you guys. I gotta go have lunch. <laughs> and then we never saw him again. But uh, anyway,
1: <laughs> the Carl's Jr. It was delicious. It
0: was delicious. <laughs> the best hamburger I ever had. <laughs>
3: Oh, well, Joe, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, thanks. It's been fun, man. Yeah. And so, of course, people listening right now, he will be at Fan Expo Canada on August 24th to 27th. So definitely come down, check him out, get something signed.
0: Yeah. Go to his panels. If you go to their website. Uh, Fan Expo's website—you could see my signing schedule. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to be there for all four days, which 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 I don't always do, but I love Toronto, and I would be remiss if I do not plug my Substack newsletter, which is which is really you know I'm I'm on all social social media pro- platforms, just you know at Joe Casada. I've really I'm really addicted to Substack. I, I do a weekly newsletter there, where I talk about. You know some of my my history, my stories, the comics biz. Offer a little advice. Your mileage may 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 vary. It's uh, it's Joe Casada's drawing the line somewhere. Just go to Substack and just search by name or search drawing the line somewhere, and you can you can get on there. And the most important part is that it's free, 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 free. Yeah. Uh, no hidden costs, no add-ons, no in-app purchases. Just strictly free. And you know there'll there'll be some tutorials on there eventually. That, you know not not how to draw the human head because there's a lot of your hands, because there's a lot of people out there who do that on YouTube and they do it so much better than I do, but tutorials on how to build your portfolio, how to pitch for the big companies. I'll be getting to those and really sort of, you know, uh, how to build your brand and and, 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 and just more the mental game of comics. And maybe I'll do a how to draw the head, but I really have no interest in that.
3: Well, thanks so much for talking with us, man. Hope you have a great day and we look forward to seeing you at Fan Expo Canada. We'll oh, yeah. be there. All right. We awesome. are. As people are hearing this, we are there right now. Yeah. There you That's,
0: go. That that is that is incredibly better. Love it. All
3: right. Yeah. All right. Let's do it again, Definitely. Fun. Right. Thanks, guys. Have awesome. a great one. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Joe. Bye. So that was our interview with Joe Quesada. He is at Fan Expo Canada this weekend in Toronto. If you want information about tickets, go to FanExpoCanada.com. He has a few panels and stuff happening over the weekend, but this Sunday he's got the Joe Quesada's Marvelous Journey. Join Joe as he takes on any and all of your questions about life before, during, and after Marvel. So if you have questions for Joe Quesada, go to fan expo canada this sunday and you can ask him should be a good time absolutely well we're gonna take a commercial break when we come back we're going to be hearing from mr green about the thing he's been waiting the whole episode to talk about as you can see he's been sitting here patiently waiting (laughs) and now he'll be able to talk about ahsoka the latest series from the star wars universe It's happening right here, Geek Card, Radio 101. Want to advertise on GeekCard and be heard by thousands of listeners? It's easy, it's simple, it's fun. Email us at geekardshow at gmail.com for information on our advertising packages today.
2: Welcome back to Geek Hard right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green.
3: Welcome back to Geek Hard, friends. Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. And now it is time for Mr. Green to get to talk about Ahsoka. <laughs> now on Disney+, Plus, created by Dave Filoni. Of course, Star Wars, created by George Lucas. It is produced by Lucas Films and distributed by Disney+. Here to read the synopsis is, you know, our own traveler. May have come from a galaxy far, far away, the old man. Oh, what are you talking about, dude? Galaxy far, far away? No, 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 no. I'm from, from here. I'm local. Are you, though? I am. Yeah, I'm around here. You know,
1: I know you're around here, but I'm, were you...
3: I, I'm a native of the region.
1: Okay. And I know you've been around a long time, you know. Yeah, I have just, been around just, a long time. But, you, you know,
3: know it's just, I'm a native of the region. Don't ask me which region, though. It's yours. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an international traveler. Yeah.
1: Which yeah. goes back to, you know, it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far it's, away. Well,
3: you know, I did run into one of them ancient astronaut Dearis. So maybe they came and saw me. I don't know. I didn't go see them, you know.
1: Oh, maybe you're the ancient, uh, you know, the ancient astronaut this whole time?
3: No, no, no. Maybe I hung out with, I'm not saying, I'm not confirming or denying, but I may have hung out with a few ancient astronauts, you know.
1: Uh, it, I'm just saying it sounds like that you might be an ancient astronaut. That's uh, That might explain uh, a few things.
3: I'll never tell. Okay. That's okay. one thing I'm taking to the grave with me. Sister just the is. one thing? Well, no, there's a lot of things.
1: Yeah, you got, like, a whole warehouse of things.
3: It's a good place to keep your stuff. So, after the fall of the Galactic Empire... Oh, yeah, that was a lot. Former Jedi Knight Ahsoka Tano investigates an emerging threat to a vulnerable galaxy. Uh, You know, I don't like it when the galaxy's vulnerable, you know? I'd like the uh, galaxy to keep it to itself, you know? Doesn't really need to show me it's cushy underbelly. I get it. But, uh, you know, that, uh, that Ahsoka, she's a looker. If I was... 2,000 years younger. Oh, God. That Ahsoka. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, you boys have fun, you know. I actually, right now, just like Mr. Green and Andrew, I'm at Fan Expo Canada. And who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe you've already seen, maybe I've popped up on the Instagram. Maybe I've put out a couple of stories. Who knows?
1: That's right. Where's the old man?
3: He's at Fan Expo Canada. That's where he is. All right, boys, have fun. And there he goes. There he goes. So, Ahsoka. Of course, like many things that the Filoni produces, you have been waiting on bated breath, Mr. Green. So what is your thought of the Filoni's latest endeavor?
1: I don't know about bated breath, but definitely cautious breath. Only because we kind of talked about this last week, with uh, you know, briefly with the Blue Beetle. Like superhero movies, a lot of the big IP uh that's out there right there's a lot of the the properties that are just, you know getting floated around that a lot of fandoms are attached to right you know harry potter's kind of gone through this star wars is going through this right now marvel has been going through this you know after 15 years of movie making or whatever it is or i can understand why some people they talk about superhero fatigue or or star wars fatigue star trek fatigue like whatever whatever the franchise is fatigue because the companies are just trying to wring money out of everything, right. you know, and I get that. And and Marvel, especially the last few years since Disney Plus came around, a lot of those shows have been coming out and it's, uh, you know, people are getting more and more bitter about them. And Star Wars kind of has fallen into this, you know, like with the new trilogy that came out, you know, that has pros and its cons. You know, there's uh, some very staunch camps on each side of that debate when they brought out rogue one everybody kind of like reset and was like oh rogue one's amazing right Mm -hmm. this is great this is fantastic this is beautiful and then the other rest of the trilogy comes out and people are all pissy and moany about that and then the mandalorian comes out and all of a sudden everybody's like oh my god season one mandalorian oh my god this is amazing right everybody's all excited and i was one of them 100 percent love season one of uh, the mandalorian and i was super excited that dave filoni was part of it that john favreau brought filoni in Mm -hmm. smart play bringing in a guy who I put on literally as the number two when it comes to Star Wars, as far as knowledge is concerned, right? Right, Lucas is number one, Filoni's number two. One of the things in a lot of the behind the scenes about season one of the Mandalorian that they talk about Filoni, like the cast and, and the crew will talk about Filoni like, Almost in uh, reverential treatment of him because it's just like he literally will come in and be like, "No, we can't do that." And they're like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "No, that person would never wear armor in that way," and he would just change things, right? Mm. And it's because he just knows, and because he cares so deeply about it. I've, I say this, and I continue to say this. He is the first human being to ever make a convincing argument why I should care about the prequel trilogy. <laughs> Right? Like le- legitimately make me care, especially right. about the Phantom Menace, which is hot garbage. What I'm getting into all of this is, is that we had the Kenobi series. That was a bit of a hit and miss, you know, at parts of that. This is why I say I, I was cautious because Ahsoka is a character that was brought in with the creation of the Clone Wars uh, animated series that Filoni wrote and directed and created. And I hated her. She's a character I hated. Like, like every other Star Wars fan that watched the original uh, three episodes, which made up the the movie that they put out. And as the series goes on, the more you watch it, it's it, of course like this was part of the plan. It said she comes in as the whiny little like sucky baby that you want to hate, but then you just grow with her as she's growing and she matures into this fucking kick-ass character that becomes Ahsoka on the show. And so by the time, You get into that series and she quits the Jedi order. You're like blubbering like a little baby because you're just like, what the fuck? I just like this is a cartoon. Like, why do I care so much about these characters? Then she pops up on Filoni's next show, Rebels, again, did the same thing. Ezra Bidra, right? The main character of Rebels. supposed to, He's like 13, 14 years old or whatever he's supposed to be when the show starts. And he's kind of a little bit of a whiny kid. And I was like, and after Clone Wars, I was like, okay, in Floney, I trust. I'm going to let this play out. And sure enough, by the end of season one of Rebels, I'm like, god damn, the show is amazing. And it comes to this because this show, Ahsoka, is the latest season of Rebels. It is 100% Rebels continuation. Almost all the characters are back, because obviously a couple don't make it past Rebels to start with. You know, we're going to meet up to a couple as we go through here. But Ahsoka's back. Sabine's back in this early on in these first few episodes. Uh, Hera's back. We get get an appearance by Chopper, who's probably one of the just savagest of droids you've ever met. I'm excited. I'm already excited by watching these first two episodes. I'm getting everything I got out of Rebels. And also when I look at this show... For me personally, it's given me a lot of what I want, but I think a lot of Star Wars fans are going to be happy about it because I think it's hitting the right notes. I think it's hitting a lot of the right Star Wars notes. I think it's hitting a lot of the right Clone Wars notes, a lot of the right Rebels notes. I think it's just really hitting on all of those and getting that kind of feel, but yet still... I will say it doesn't have quite the lived in universe feel like the original trilogy did, Mm. but there are some elements of that because obviously this is the reclamation, right? Like we're now in the back half, the empire has been defeated, quote unquote, and the new republic is now trying to assert its control as we've seen a little bit in, in the Mandalorian, but also like through this worlds are trying to come back out of the shadow of the empire.
3: Right, right.
1: All that stuff is great. Loving all of that. I like the late Ray Stevenson, unfortunately, as Balin Skull, like No matter whatever happens at the end of the show, if they decide to come back and do another series or whatever, and regardless of whatever happens to this character, I'm assuming he's going to get killed during the show. That's my personal thought, but whatever. Even if he didn't, it's sad because you'll never get to see Ray again because Ray, great actor. He doesn't have a lot to do in these first two episodes, unfortunately, but he does what he does nicely. He's a six foot five shit brick house just walking into everything. And when he doesn't say words, he just looks like he's ready to like eat you
3: alive. Right, right. I was just thinking about it. I could have gone and got a sandwich. <laughs> 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 you could have done all that. I didn't even need to be here. My god. <laughs> oh man. I this, get a little
1: excited about Star Wars.
3: Ray Stevens is doing a great job in this. It's interesting because you kind of gave, like, your journey as a hardcore Star Wars fan who's watched everything, mm-hmm. done everything. I'm more of the casual fan. You Absolutely. Know? Which yeah. is, like, let's face it, 60, 65% of people who are checking this stuff out on Disney Plus are falling more into the casual
1: film. I would actually probably go as high as, like, 70, 75. Yeah, to be, so honest.
3: Yeah, to be honest. I watched maybe a few random episodes of The Clone Wars because uh, mm-hmm. my brother's a big fan right. of The Clone Wars. I never saw Rebels. So I'm coming into this as a... I generally know who Ahsoka is. I've seen her. I mm-hmm. know who the character is. I know this is Star Wars. And I think that's why the first Mandalorian series had such great accessibility because the first two seasons, right. all you really need to know was... Star Wars is a universe, and here's The Mandalorian. And it's where Mandalorian Season 3 kind of stepped off the path and went a bit too far into the minutiae of like, hey, we want to talk about stuff about the secondary characters because of all the things that happened in the other shows and the history and everything like that. And that's fine, but they we kind of lost track of The Mandalorian story in The Mandalorian for a bit. That's just the way it was. Like, the grander scheme of things, yes. But for him, his personal journey, that was kind of... Flip-flopped up in the air during the last season of Mandalorian. Right, right. No, that's fair. So coming into this, I will say they do a really good job of telling personal one-to-one stories. They're not trying to over-explain everything. And so certain characters who I'm being introduced to, I get the context I need to know. So it's like, okay, Sabine Wren, okay, she was Ahsoka's Padawan before Ahsoka left. Got it. Okay, so all that kind of information, but at the same time, because I'm watching it without the minutia, I look at these characters and I have fun little nicknames for, them. Uh, like, <laughs> like Sabine Red is anime bad girl to me because it's like her introduction in this series is she's on a bike, she's got a helmet. How many animes have had that kind of character, that, right? No, so it's, it's that's sort of like totally fair. And then Ray Stevenson's apprentice in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Who's uh, played by uh, is a uh, uh, yeah Avana Avana Sackno who played Shin Hats right? That's the yeah
1: Shin Hadi yeah Shin
3: Hadi yeah. To me, she was extra white. So at the end of the first episode, when extra white and anime bad girl face off, I'm like, okay, what's gonna happen between extra white and anime bad girl? Even though I had these kooky names for them and everything, I knew that they were on the right track of telling a good story because I actually cared. Right. Which as, sometimes is lost when you get lost in the minutia. That's what I'm trying to say
1: here. I'm glad you brought this up because this was something I was curious about. Because, like, obviously, as you heard me in my long diatribe to get to where I was getting to, is that I know who all these characters are. Yeah. Right? Like, I understand the complex nature of the, the relationship between Ahsoka and Sabine and the two of them with Hera and who Huang who, who is, the droid that is hanging out with uh, Ahsoka. You know and who he is uh, or it is i should say and the importance of the hologram of ezra and like what why they keep referring to ezra and it's that like hushed tone like oh ezra you know like ooh, right like i know you can get that from the clues but like yeah, yeah, yeah. i i instantly just know what's happening right 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 like for me there was a touch at the end of episode two when sabine and ahsoka are talking because it's almost like a exact replica of the the last shot of rebels Oh, okay so it's kind of like fitting things together where rebels leaves off because rebels runs right up to the beginning of the official rebellion and then it jumps at to the end after the empire is defeated and then it has a little postscript where they kind of say where everybody is and one of those moments is ahsoka coming to see sabine about going to find ezra after mm. he disappears with Thrawn back in Rebels. And what I'm happy to hear from you is that even though that those moments are lost on you because you don't have that history, you're still, like you said, invested in who these characters are like, yeah, and what's yeah, going the, on. The
3: actual main human connection is there. And that's what I explain. And I will say another thing that was correct in this that sometimes gets lost when they get too crazy on the minutia is the structuring of the episodes. The first episode was smartly structured. It's like we bring you in, bam, action sequence. Well, you right. don't need to know exactly who these characters are. If you don't know, you just need to know this is what they're here for. You get the action sequence, which is reminiscent back to the original trilogy. Because, yeah. like, if you think about it, when you walk into A New Hope, you don't know who any of these characters are. You just know, oh, these people might die, you know, in those first and, five minutes, right? And,
1: and, and you're introduced to the world's biggest spaceship. Chasing the world well, at, the, at the moment looks like the world's smallest spaceship, and yes. they're firing on And you're like, "What the fuck is all this going on?" So and
3: then- this one, you know, it's, it's a classic kind of, you know, infiltration. Oh, are these people what they say they are? And they show up, and then there's, you know, like basically the the veil is dropped, and there's a fight, and that's all you really need to know as an audience member. Because it's all there in the story. That is what I appreciate so far about this series. Because there's a lot of times where they forget that. It seems like right now, they're not forgetting that. They're not leaving anybody behind, so to speak.
1: This is where I say that Dave Filoni should be in charge of all things Star Wars. Hmm. Which I know can be a kind of a precarious scenario because really I think it should be more like two or three people just so that you don't get one, you know, like kind of Lucasian vision of things that kind of take us down a bad path as we did right, in the past. Right, yeah. But regardless of the, of the, the sheer number of people, Floney needs to be part of that, that brain trust, which he is right now because of his knowledge base, but also what you're talking about. I, Floney is one of those guys that, cause he did this every week. Uh, with Clone Wars and he did it with uh, Rebels as well. And we've seen the best parts of the, those first two seasons of uh, uh, the Mandalorian were on that accessibility was making sure that even though there's moments for guys like me, where I'm like, I get excited by like uh, one character walking in the background kind of thing, or like the first time Morgan Elsbeth in back in Mandalorian, when, when we see Ahsoka for the first time and she mentions Thrawn's name and I was just like, I, nearly blew my lid. Right. Like I was just like so excited now in this show, learning a bit more about Morgan Elizabeth and what that means. Cause that goes back to clone wars as well. Like those things are great for me, but I love, but mm. as much as I love that stuff and it's great for me, it's nice that it's still open enough for you as a casual fan that you can still get enjoyment out of this is what yeah. I'm getting.
3: Well, it's like, yeah, there's like the, the, they're actually telling stories, not just giving tips of the hat to things that came before, which is worse. So you, are you saying, You're saying people should check it out?
1: (laughs) Like there was ever a doubt. Well, actually, there kind of was. That's what I led this off with. And there was some doubts. But no, absolutely. I am fully in love with this show. It's only two episodes that I've gotten to see so far. I'm fully in love. Uh, I think this is great. And if they can do more like this in the future, then I will be very, very happy.
3: Well, there we go. I I definitely think, uh, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, check it out. It's fun. Definitely check it out um yeah and the the second episode is dropping next week first episodes out there right now so give it a watch
1: yeah i i can't wait to uh for you to to, to meet thrawn for the first time and see how you feel about him after the show is over Ho- hopefully we're on the same page and okay. i don't I, I don't hate him
3: okay fair enough well he's,
1: I, he's a big character so
3: right right no i get you i get you don't worry i understand
1: I know, I know. Sorry, sorry. I get a little emotional. I I know,
3: know. I know. It's okay, buddy. It's all right. (laughs) All right. Things are going to be okay. Uh, So that actually brings us to the end of our episode. But a few things, of course, we're at Fan Expo right now. We hope to see you there this weekend at the Metro Toronto Convention Center in Toronto. Go to FanexpoCanada.com for information about tickets, travel, everything like that. Go check it out. Uh, Also... The interview we did tonight with Joe Cassada, it is actually a truncated version of it. The full version is available in mere minutes on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Show. In mere minutes, it's going to be going live on there. And you can watch the entire interview that we had with Joe Cassada and uh, hear more about his great exploits. So definitely... Check that out. YouTube.com slash show. Mr. Green, we've come to the end of the program. Tell the good folks where they can find us.
1: As always, if you like what we do here, you can always find more content over at Patreon.com slash card And for those of you who don't right now, it'd be super cool if you joined
3: us. Do it. What the hell are you uh, waiting for?
1: Yeah. And, of course, uh, additional content always available at YouTube, as Andrew just mentioned, with the full Joe Cassada video. Twitter, Instagram. Well, I guess we can't call it Twitter anymore. I'm still calling it Twitter. Screw it. Yeah. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. Well, and, yes, even Pinterest, but also now on threads and, you know, probably more in the future just search geek Card show on any of those platforms and you'll find us there of course check out our website geekardshow.com, for more news reviews and the podcast version of this very show available on mondays after 2 p.m of course we didn't listen to us okay we didn't listen to us tonight on the show as it aired originally at 7 p.m the best way to listen to us is to do what andrew
3: is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice and while you're there leave a five-star rating and review because it helps us out
1: Absolutely. And as always, if you want to continue the conversation with us, email us, geekhardshow at gmail.com.
3: I want to thank Joe Quesada for coming on the program with us, for Joe Quesada, for Fan Expo Canada, for Ahsoka, for Star Wars, for Mr. Green, and for Yuri in the Booth. This is Andrew saying, if you're going to geek out, you might as well geek hard on reality radio 101.
2: Thank you for listening to Geek Hard right here. With your hosts, Andrew Young and Mr. Green on Reality Radio 101.